The second announcement um, has to do with our radio station. And uh, this, this is, you know, all these things are tough. But uh, as things lie right now, as of this, this Friday, our station is going to be going off the air. And there's, there's many reasons for this. Um, the first being when we started the station, we knew that our signal would be very limited. And most people listen to that station mainly in their vehicles. Uh, not a lot of people listen, dial, you know, fire up the old radio at home. So our aim was to really promote our app and our web stream, even knowing that we can get hard data from that. And really, uh, there, there's next to no one listening online through the app and through the internet. In fact, we, we're reaching far more people through Facebook, and it's incredibly easy to stream through Facebook. Um, with that as well, we've really looked for ways to increase our reach uh, with the antenna and uh, to try to get it so from San Miguel to Margarita in your car, you can hear it. I had someone tell me today, I, you need to get that thing to Paso. And we tried and tried, and it's not happening. Um, with that, there's an incredible demand of time and money that goes into running this thing every week. And really, from the reach, we can't justify the way things lie right now, continuing with it uh, because of the time and of the money that's involved. I mean, we, we got to be good stewards of those things. And then, as well, just with changing times, there's been changing messages, and there's been different programs with messages that we would never preach or allow to be preached in, in our pulpit. So with all these things before us where things lay right now, we just come to the place where we're going to shut that down as of Friday, put it in the Lord's hands, and uh, move forward. So be, be praying for that. And uh, praise God, there are other avenues that God's opened up even in the course of this where people are being reached with multimedia things. And then the last, last announcement has to do with our Sunday morning services and prayer time. And as of the 23rd of December, we're going to be moving to two Sunday morning services at 9 and 11. And I'm super excited about this. From 8 to 8.40, we're going to have a time of prayer, a time of dedicated prayer where any and everyone can come and seek the Lord. And uh, when we moved to three services, our sanctuary was, you know, had, 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 had a lot less seats. We moved things around to add more. But we had that time of prayer, and it was solid, and it was good. And, man, you just saw the fruit of it. And when we moved to three, we added that prayer garden. It kind of took off, and then, then it has fallen by the wayside. And uh, I, I just know that we, we have to be a people of prayer. And I see the difference. I, I see it in my spirit, and I see it practically when that time of solid prayer is there. So we've been, we've been thinking and praying about that decision for a while. It has nothing to do with attendance, which has been very steady. I know the first service has doubled in size over the last year, year and a half. But it has everything to do with lightening the load a bit on our staff and volunteers, giving us more time to fellowship in between services because at times it just feels like we're rushing this group out and rushing this group in and they're like cattle going into, not calling you guys cows, but cattle going into different directions. And it just has been on my heart, you know, those exhortations like in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. And as you see the day of the Lord approaching and we see the day of the Lord approaching, do we not all the more get together? And I think it's just vitally important that we grow in prayer and we grow in that fellowship. That's why we, we're doing what we're doing on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, it's in Acts 2.42. Uh, we, we have the Apostles' Doctrine, Prayer, the Breaking of Bread, and Fellowship. And I'd really encourage you, if you could come out on Wednesdays, to come out for the meal and the fellowship and the, the worship and the food. And you'll be immensely blessed. We need that. And then, as I already mentioned, we need that prayer time. And um, it's going to be a lot more crowded in here. Um, it, it's fairly full right now. And, and parking is going to be a little more challenging. And we've determined that if, if we get to the point where we're like, oh boy, we can't, we, we have a problem here, which may happen, it may not, then we're going to seek the Lord for other solutions. Uh, but we, we, we're going to have that time of prayer. So I'm going to invite everyone to, you know, come join us for prayer then at 9 and 11. And I know you guys are kind of in the middle here, so you have to decide what to do and be led by the Lord. And um, so... Those are things before us. Be praying for these things. Be led. We want to be, you know, as transparent as we can in these things. So, uh, you know, if you have questions, come talk to myself or any of the pastors. And, um, you know, I know he'll be faithful to all of us because he always is. Amen. So let's get into God's word here. Psalm 57, entitled the message, Be Merciful to Me. 
Mercy, it means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior, to have pity on, to show favor. The word of God is loaded with scriptures that speak of mercy. In fact, in the New King James Version, mercy, merciful, or mercies is used 390 times. And there's a reason for it. The reason for it is, number one, we need it. And secondly, God is abundantly full of mercy and he's wanting to pour it out upon us. Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. So the Bible speaks of mercy because we need it and he wants to extend it. It also speaks of mercy because he has a calling upon us to walk in the blessings that are found when we show mercy to others. Proverbs 3.3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Notice verse 4, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And that's not just about binding on our heart, oh, the truth that God's merciful to me, but also binding on our heart the truth that God has called me to be merciful to those around me. So today in our passage, once again, we see David in the wilderness. We see him on the run as a fugitive. And we see him crying out to God for mercy. And praise God, once again, we see God giving him mercy. We see God giving him a double and a triple portion of mercy. So again, we are going to primarily focus on mercy and glean from the scriptures before us, as well as touch on some other things as well that are so good. Let's read the text together. And then we'll jump in this. Psalm 57. To the chief musician set to, do not destroy. A him of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed away. I will cry out to God most high. To God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongues a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake, lute and heart. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now notice how this starts to the chief musician, do not destroy. There are individuals that want to destroy David. Saul wants to destroy David. Other enemies of God want to destroy David, a man after God's own heart, a type of Christ in the scripture. He's praying out to God, do not destroy me. God, do not allow them to destroy me. God, go before me. Notice it says it's a mitchtim of David. We saw last week a mitchtim is a poem engraved. This is a word of God that he is engraving on David's heart, recorded for us to learn from, to worship God with. And then it says it was written when David fled from Saul into the cave. Now there's multiple times when David is fleeing from Saul into caves. There's the cave that we'll talk about in 2 Samuel 22, the cave of Adullam or Adullam. And then we see sometimes in Engedi, he's in caves and so forth. There's multiple times. Now, it seems to me that this time is speaking of, again, when he goes to the cave of Adullam, it is the event that we touched on last week, where he went when he fled from uh, the, the king of Gath, there amongst the Philistines. We'll also see right off the bat here in, is it the third verse, he talks about God being his refuge. And we know the cave of Adullam is the cave of refuge. So that's where we're going to take this from. I think that, you know what? the prayer here would be applicable to all those things because this prayer can be applicable to us whenever we feel like we are in a cave, 
when we are in that place when there is opposition to us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, let's set up where we've been and it will pave the way for where we're going because all these psalms we've been looking at recently revolve around that time when David first fled from King Saul. Saul, remember, had tried to kill him two times. The Lord releases him from being there with Saul. Remember, he first went to the high priest. He got bread for him and the few men with him. And there he picked up the sword of Goliath that was rightfully his. But it seems in doing that, David moved from trusting in the sword of the word to trusting in the sword of man. Because last week we saw where he went next. He went down to the king of Gath. This seemed like a good idea to him, but absolutely it turned out to be a place of bondage. Remember, he went down there looking for refuge, running from one enemy, really running into the camp of another enemy. He got down there. It seems he goes in with a bit of pride. He goes in there with the sword of Goliath, their champion. Goliath was from Gath, that the Lord had granted him mercy to slay just a few years earlier. He goes in, no doubtedly saying, hey, Saul's against me, so I'm against Saul. Even though that wasn't fully the truth. He gets in there and they say, is this not David, king of the land? David was not the king of the land at that point. But the enemy recognized that he was like the king and he would be king. And it's amazing how oftentimes the enemy recognizes who we are in Christ when we don't recognize who we are in Christ. And the Lord wants us to abound in knowing who he is and who we are in him. And then they said, don't they sing these songs about him? Saul slain thousands, but David tens of thousands. And then it says there in 1 Samuel 21, 12, now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of H.S. king of Gath. And it seems at that point he wrote Psalm 56 that we looked at last week, that he cried out to God. We don't ever actually see him in prison, but it says that psalm was written when he was in prison by the king of Gath. And the first thing that came out of his mouth there in that prayer, in that psalm, in that praise, in Psalm 56 was, be merciful to me, O God. Again, leading up to Gath, that good idea, we don't see recorded prayer. Perhaps he did pray, but we don't see it recorded. We don't see him taking up the sword of the word, but we see him taking up the sword of man. We don't see him going before the king of Gath with humility, but with sword in hand, it seems that he's going forth in pride. It doesn't mean that he had a wicked intention. It doesn't mean that, you know, he was plotting or planning the demise of someone else. He thought this would be a good idea. And then once he got down there, that good idea turned out to be an idea that brought bondage upon him. So what's he do at that point? He cries out for mercy. Be merciful to me. And then we continue to read there in 1 Samuel 21, 11, it says, so he changed his behavior before them. He humbled his heart. He prayed, be merciful to me, O God. A mitchum was written in his heart. So he put down the sword of Goliath, so to speak, and he took up the sword of the word. And then as he cried out for mercy, God gave him mercy and moving him to change his behavior, which was really putting down the pride and taking up humility because he went from walking in there again with the sword of goliath i'm the guy that slew your giant to putting on again meekness which involved him it says pretending to be crazy it says that he went over and began to scratch at the door he began to allow saliva go down his beard and this is a text that's perplexing because you're like what's he doing here is this deceit that he's doing no he's not deceiving them He's putting on a cloak of humility. He's going from, I'm going to go in and impress them with who I am and what I've done to seeing I'm in bondage crying out to God to saying, I'm going to put on a cloak of humility. I don't care what they think about me. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I just want to be right before my Lord. I want to be out of this place of of bondage. And as he cried out for mercy, God gave him great mercy. And the king said, I don't have need of a madman. He was probably thinking, I got plenty of those already here in Gath. I don't need one more. And that's where we go to 1 Samuel 22, where I believe this psalm was written. It says that he went down to the cave of Adullam. He was freed by mercy, and then he goes down to this next place by mercy. Real quick here, 2 Samuel 21.1, it says, David therefore departed from there 
and escaped to the cave of Adullam, or Adullam, the cave of refuge. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone, and we'll come back to this in a minute, in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And that's where this psalm, it seems, was written. It says the cave. Again, there's different caves, but if you look at the order, you look at him crying out for God to be his refuge. It's the cave of refuge. This seems to fit. So notice the first thing he says. And this was either once he was at the cave or perhaps going to the cave somewhere in there. But notice what he says. Be merciful to me, O God. Here, 57.1. O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed away. Now again, when David was in Gath, when he saw his good idea, it was not God's idea, and he was in bondage, he cried out to God, and God gave him a big dose of mercy. He said, God, you're the, you're the superior, I'm the inferior, please stoop down and deliver me out of this place, and absolutely God did. He cried out once. Again, he started by saying, be merciful to me, O God. Notice here, we come to the next phase, and he says, be merciful to me, O God. And then he tacks on again, be merciful to me, O God. Now he cries out for a double portion. This is not a vain repetition. This isn't him saying, oh, Lordy, have mercy. This is him saying, God, I need mercy. In fact, I need a double portion of mercy. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, O God. David had tasted the mercy of God, and he said, I want more of that mercy. Usually when things taste good, we want more, right? Hard to eat just one donut hole. Hard to eat just one French fry. Hard to eat one Dorito. Pringo, fill in the blank. Somebody like, carrots and ranch. <laughs> the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And see, David had gotten his mouth rinsed of the bitterness of sin at the maximum of the bitterness of a good idea turning into bondage at the minimum. And had gotten a mouth full of the great mercies of God. And he cried out, Lord, give me more. Let me ask you today, have you tasted of the mercies of God? Can you say amen to that? Let me ask you this, do you want more? Well, one thing we need to know is that God gives mercy every day, whether we know it or not. Everyone gets a single portion of mercy. And praise God, it's more than three or four donut holes. It's a whole big box of donuts. In fact, you could say it's a donut shop. Lamentations 3.22 to the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fell not. The fact we're in this room with breath in our lungs is the mercy of God. The fact that that sun came up today is the mercy of God. The fact that, again, we are not consumed is the mercy of God. And this isn't just for the righteous. It's for the wicked and the just alike. Jesus said in Matthew five forty four, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives mercy to all of us every single day, a big portion of that. David knows that, and yet David is crying out for a double, then we'll see even a triple portion. And he cries out for that double portion by humbly asking for mercy with a yielded heart. There in Gath, when his good idea turned into bondage, be merciful to me, O God. And indeed, God was merciful. As he put on a cloak of humility, deliverance come. And it's just amazing how when you humble, humble your heart, how everything can change so quickly. Your circumstance might change, but boy, your walk with the Lord and your relationship with him can change like that when you humble your heart. And David humbled his heart and he yielded to God, and then he cries out for a double portion, and God absolutely gives him that double portion. Again, he had delivered him, and now he brings them down to this cave of Adullam, and he begins to, again, strengthen him and prepare him for what is next. And that double portion, this is good news, it's not just for the King David's and the Joseph's, and the Moses's, and the Abraham's. It is for any and all that would cry out. In fact, as you look at God's word, 
When men and women truly humble their hearts and cry out for mercy, God always gives it. And listen, he gives it even to the most awful scoundrels in man's eyes. In Luke 18, 9, it says, And Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. These were people that weren't merciful. These were people who did not cry out for mercy. We'll see here, these were people that set a standard for themselves, and when no one measured up, they looked down on them. They set a standard for themselves, and they said, if I perform to this, I don't need the mercy of God. They stood in their piety versus the mercy of God, a very dangerous place. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, again, highly esteeming himself and the other a tax collector and one thing you got to recognize and know that tax collectors were considered scoundrels because these tax tax collectors for the most part not only tax people the taxes that was owed to the roman government but then they would add a tax for themselves and everyone knew this and we'll see even from his repentance that he acknowledged this he stole from others he was not looked at again with high esteem he was a scoundrel the galileans were like californians they did not like to pay taxes seems like californians like to pay taxes galileans didn't and then when this guy came and even robbed him on top of that again he's a scoundrel notice verse 11 the pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself i thank you god i thank you i'm not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector and it seems like this is again how the tax collector was seen he was an extortioner and he was an adulterer uh unjust he walked in things he was an adulterer in heart against god and not doing what god had called him to do at the minimum and he did not walk in justice he goes on to say i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i possess And then in verse 13, it says, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, notice here, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the ever, the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself on the side of the Lord and he will bestow a double portion of mercy. You want to walk in pride, you want to walk in piety, you want to set your standard and measure everyone else by it, then you're going to be humbled. We see this with the thief on the cross. I won't read the text, but it's there in Luke 23. This man begins to recognize, I deserve to be here. And there was no one protesting, get that thief off the cross. He was a scoundrel. He was getting punishment for what he did, the crimes he committed. And when he committed those crimes, he knew that there would be a punishment that would come if he was caught. And yet as he hung there on that cross, recognizing that he was a sinner and Jesus was not, that he was lost, that Jesus was Messiah, he cried out to Christ and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was saying, give me mercy, God. I deserve to be here, but you don't. I need to be rescued. Remember me. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today that you will be with me in paradise. Did you see that word? Assuredly. He didn't say, we'll see how it works out, assuredly, because you're humbling your heart, because you're crying out for salvation, because you're crying out for mercy, because you're acknowledging your sin, you're saying, I'm an inferior, you are superior, and I need your mercy, assuredly, you will be with me this day in paradise. Is that not good? And then think about the Apostle Paul. I think this is a text we need to be more familiar with. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And then notice verse 13. This is a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then notice what he says here, verse 15. This is a faithful saying, I'm worthy of all acceptance. So he says, what I'm about to say is true and it needs to be accepted by everybody. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Is that not good news? And then he says, of whom I'm chief. And this is at the end of Paul's ministry. He hadn't grown in piety. He had grown in his understanding. I need more mercy than when I begun. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy 
that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So he says, I obtain mercy to be a witness of God's mercy to others. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. God showed me mercy so I could be a trophy and a standard of the mercy that he wants to show others in his long suffering. The fact that Christ has not come back is a picture of his mercy. He delays his return, long suffering, not wanting any to perish. And the fact that you are born again. Are you born again? Is he your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, you are absolutely a walking picture of the long suffering and the mercies of God Almighty. Let's not ever lose sight of that. And then with this said, Paul worships God. And we'll see David this morning with the mercies worshiping God. Because in verse 17 he says, again with all this said, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He thought about the mercies, the grace of God. He says, I just want to worship you, Lord. A double or you could say a triple portion of mercy also comes when we extend it and we give it to others. We all got mercy. We humble our heart. Listen, he wants to give a double portion. And then from there, as we receive that mercy, he has called us to extend it to others. And then you can say there's a a triple portion. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you like blessings this morning? Blessed are the merciful. James 2, 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We see that with the Pharisee we read about. So many of examples of this in scripture. We read in Matthew 18 about the ungrateful servant. He was forgiven a lifetime of debt by his master. The masters finally said, listen, your tab's too big. It's time to pay up. And he begged for mercy. He begged for forgiveness and grace. And the master showed it to him. It says from there he went and found a fellow servant that owed him one day's wage. And he grabbed him by the neck and began to choke him out. And he said, give me what you owe me. All his records of wrongs had been forgiven. And yet he kept this record of wrong versus his brother. Give me what you owe me. It says this news got out and he was brought to the attention of his master. Then his master called him to himself in Matthew 18, 32. And he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And one thing we got to remember is when we don't extend mercy to others, there's going to be a torture in our heart. When you walk with bitterness, you walk with underforgiveness, you walk stacking up records of wrong. That's a surefire recipe for bondage. He experienced that. Compare this to Luke 16 with the shrewd servant. The shrewd servant had squandered the master's goods. He got word that the master was upset and he was going to be held accountable for that. So what's he do? He goes out and he begins to find people that owed the master's debt and he began to decrease their debt. Someone owed 100, I don't know the exact numbers, put 60 on there. Oh, you owe him 50, put 30. He just, he just began to, to, to lower everyone's debt. He really began to go out and show them mercy. So you would think the master would be infuriated with them. Yet we come to Luke 16, 8, and it says the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly or he had moved in wisdom. And then he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. As he showed mercy, God says, this is an act of wisdom. And so mercy was shown to him. Listen, this isn't about enabling sin, but this is about being long-suffering and compassionate with other struggles, shortcomings, and needs. Because the last time I checked, I have struggles, shortcomings, and needs myself that I don't want to be enabled. I do not want to be fostered, but absolutely, I hope the people would be long-suffering with me. You see, this with David. David received mercy, being delivered from Gath, a double portion of mercy, and being brought down to the cave of refuge. And then it says, as he was down there, all those that were distressed, discontented, and in debt came out to David. What we got to recognize is these weren't the people that were saying, Saul's wicked and I'm not, so I'm going to flee to David. 
They were people that were being persecuted by Saul, but they left Saul's presence with many problems themselves. To be distressed, it means to have a disability. To be discontented, it means to be bitter. It's the word mara in scripture. To be in debt, it means to be morally deluded. And now here's here's David having received this great mercy, and here comes a whole group of people, 400 men, their families and so forth. And now he has the choice. Is he gonna show them mercy? Is he gonna show them mercy by being willing to be the captain over them and lead them? Or is he gonna go, wait a minute, I got enough of my own problems. You guys need to kick rocks. I don't want anything to do with this. But we see him being a type of Christ, bringing them in the cave with him, becoming the captain over them. And let me tell you, I just pray to God by his mercies that that could be us. And it has to be us. Because I don't want, nor could I pastor a perfect church. Because if I did, I would be disqualified. We need God's mercy. Again, it's not enabling a sin. Absolutely, we want to be stretched. We want to grow. But a long-suffering for one another, as God has been long-suffering with us, mercy towards one another as as he has been merciful for us. From here, he cries out, my soul trusts in you. And this is a declaration of praise. It's also David preaching to himself. Listen, if David just dwelled on a situation, Saul wants to kill me. The Philistines, you know what, are upset. Who knows what they're gonna do next? There's bounties on my head, seen through Doag, who heard my conversation with the high priest. If David just focused in on that, he would no doubt melt. So instead of doing that, he declares, my soul trusts in you. He is praising God. He is preaching to himself. Let me ask you this morning, who is your soul trusted to? Here on earth, for eternity, do you trust in horses and chariots or do you trust in the Lord? Have you trusted your soul to Christ, the forgiveness and salvation found in him, or are you trusting in your own piety or good works or leaning on your own understanding? The Lord today is calling us to trust in him. In the shout of your wings, I'll take my refuge. You need to know this. He went to the cave of Adalim or Adelim, the cave of refuge, but the cave was not his refuge. God was his refuge. The Lord was his refuge. And we need to make sure that our position is not our refuge. Our money is not our, pref- our, our, our refuge. Our stuff's not our refuge. Our posse, those around us, are not our refuge. Those are provisions from God, and those can be very good things when they're used for the glory of God. But God wants to be your refuge, that you're trusting in him. Because the day may come when all those things are stripped from you. But if God's for you, who can be against you? And he said he'll never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Trust in him, not what he provides for you. Does that make sense? Let's trust in him. Let's thank God for the provisions. We're a blessed people in this room this morning. Let's have gratitude. Acknowledge his mercy in providing for those things. But he is our refuge. And then he says says here, um, he he compares, uh, let me just read it. He says, my soul trusts in you and the shadow of your wings I will make your refuge. Make you my refuge. This is a metaphor. He's not declaring God's a bird with feathers here. It's a metaphor of the chicks going under the mother's wings and then feeling like that's the safest place in the world. It's like a baby in the arms of mama. I've never yet seen a baby in the arms of mother worry about the bills being paid. Or thinking, you know, at all oh, my refuge is in this home and all this stuff. That baby is in the place where that baby just knows this is the safe place right here. It's not all the stuff. It's the mother. It's the father. He's a good father, isn't he? Let's rest in the shadow of his wings. And then he says, until this calamity passes, and praise God, seasons comes, seasons go. Jesus said, concerning him going to the cross, in Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, he says, the things concerning me have an end. Boy, it'd be tough if this were what eternity looked like, Right? God's blessed us with many, many things. We have a lot to be thankful for, and we should, but there's trials, there's tribulations, there's difficulties. Praise God, these calamities will pass. In Christ Jesus, we know where we are going forever. Is that good? not good news? 
But think about the lost, those that don't know him. Those that say, oh yeah, this is horrible, it's hell on earth, but they don't know Christ. This is gonna be like heaven compared to hell. And I would pray in the mercies God has given to us, we would have a heart for those that need to come to know him and would be merciful even towards the unbeliever, knowing they behave the way that they behave because they are void of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse two, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Have you noticed in these Psalms, there's a lot of crying out. Let me ask you, is there a lot of crying out in your life? You're like, I cry a lot, but is there a lot of crying out to God in your life? There should be because he hears our cries. And again, let's make sure our cries are coming out of a plead for mercy versus pleading our case based on our piety. That's a big mistake. To God most high, again, he created all things. He's above all things. His ways and thoughts are higher above ours. That's good news. And then notice what he says next, to God who performs all things for me. That is an amazing statement right there. Can you receive that this morning? Can you receive that? To God who performs all things for me. I I need more grace and mercy to be able to receive that. My mind does not go there. It really doesn't. But God's word declares it. God performs all things for you. You think it through, God doesn't need any of this. God wasn't in heaven saying, boy, I need something, so let me do something. This is all for me. He's God. He's self-sufficient. He performs all things for us. He went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for you. The sun came up today for you. His long-suffering shown to you, to me, despite our sin, him showing his long-suffering for us, going to the cross for us in hopes we would humble our heart and cry out to him to receive salvation for us, that in all of it, we would glorify him. He's there for us. God, give us grace to understand that, to know it, not to abuse it. It's not a call to selfishness, but it's a call to recognize the love of God. How many times do we wonder, is he even aware of my trial, my tribulation? I probably heard five people in the last few weeks saying, I'm angry at God. Or so-and-so, she's in that time, she's angry at God. And part of that thought, God's not aware, God doesn't know. And God says, I perform all things for you. He's aware of all of it. Listen, when he says he knows the number of hairs on your head, that's not because God has a hobby of counting hairs on your head. He's saying, I know everything about you. I know what you don't know. And I perform everything for you in hopes that you would grope for me and that we could walk together and I could be your all in all. I could be your God and you would be my people. Verse three, I love this. He shall sin from heaven and save me. He doesn't say he might sin from heaven. He shall sin from heaven. He sent his son from heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He sent from heaven his son to make a way of salvation for whoever would call on his name. And then he says he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. He rebukes or disapproves the one who would swallow me up. He says, Selah, think think about that. He says, God has my back even in the midst of my shortcomings. And then he says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Again, he does not say God might send forth his mercy. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. And it's amazing as you start to go through word, the word how many times mercy and truth are brought together. Mercy and truth. We read that Proverbs, Proverbs 3, mercy and truth. We see it here, mercy and truth. Later on in the Psalm, which, which you know, we're, well, we'll get to here briefly, mercy and truth. Why is that the case? Listen, because when you know the truth, it mercifully sets you free. And when you reject mercy, you quickly move from walking in truth to walking in error. They go hand in hand. Know the truth and it will mercifully set you free. Walk in mercy and you will mercifully see the truth. Verse four, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. 
Peter says the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I think this is a picture of spiritual warfare. I walk, walk amongst lions, and then he says, I walk amongst men. They're on fire. James says the tongue is like a fire. He says their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongue's a sharp sword. So David says, listen, I'm spiritually being attacked. I'm verbally being attacked. What am I supposed to do? Anyone going through any spiritual warfare this morning? Anyone here ever experienced verbal attack? Oh, no, not in this world. What do we do? Well, notice what he does in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David says, this is what's happening, but I'm not going to focus in on these words. I'm going to focus in on the word of God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to exalt God. I'm going to lift up God. And really what he's doing is he is seeing God as he is. God is big. As I exalt him, I see him as he is. God is big. And these lions and these fires and these spears, they are very, very small. And my God is very, very, very big. And I'm going to rest in the shadow of his wing, in the refuge that comes from him. Man, we better be preaching this to our hearts. If you haven't been preaching this, this is truth. You better start preaching it to you. Otherwise, listen, those enemies will swallow you up. But God says, be my refuge. Call out to me. Stand on my word. Let me see you through. Verse six, they have prepared a net for my steps. So the enemy's plotting. And again, he always is. He's always looking for an opportune time. They prepared a net for my steps. Meanwhile, David says, my soul is bowed down. And as the enemy plots, 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 you know what we need to do? Pray, pray, pray. This is why the Bible says pray without ceasing. You don't pray through the tough season and say, oh boy, we got through that. You know, let's just put that prayer on the sidelines. And if something comes up again, then we'll start praying again. We better be a people of prayer. A people abounding in it. And why would we not be when the Bible says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? He says, they've dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah, or think about that. And we need to think about that. If we go around digging pits for others, we will fall in. And if there's others going around digging pits for you, they will fall in. Pretty easy counsel there. Don't be digging pits. And when there are pits, trust in the Lord. God will go before you. God will be merciful as we bow down and cry out to him. Verse seven, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast, I will sing and give praise. And despite all the trials, despite all the opposition, David's heart remains steadfast to the Lord. In fact, he makes a double declaration. I think it's a declaration and it's also a proclamation. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. We've been called to a steadfast walk. I'm reading the Proverbs in my devotions right now, and it talks about the ant. Learn from the ant. The ant's steadfast. He doesn't slumber during summer. He gets ready for winter. He's steadfast. James, again, talks about the farmer learning from him. He goes out, and he sows, he waters, he takes these steps. We see David in the desert in these Psalms. He's steadfast. The Bible says to learn the scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there, but steadfast. But notice what he says here. My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. Continuing steadfastly revolves around the condition of the heart. If your heart goes astray, so will you. This is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Does God have your heart? If he doesn't, or if he only has part of it, then cry out to God for mercy and say, God, get my heart, and by mercy and grace, help me to lay down these things that want to come in and take precedence over you. He says, I'll sing and give praise. So again, prayer and praise, we see, fuels the fire of a steadfast heart after God. Verse 8, awake my glory, awake lute and harp. I love this, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. In the midst of this, David is saying, you gotta stay awake. He's talking to himself. Awake my glory. Awake Luton harp. Again, the preacher you're gonna hear most is you. 
I gotta wake up. I gotta recognize what's going on. I can't be lulled asleep by the by the by the wicked one, by the world, by my own flesh. And then notice again, he's in the cave, and the cave's a dark place. They didn't have LED lights in there, maybe some fires, but it's a dark place. And David's in a dark place, running from Saul, fleeing from the Philistines, not knowing what's coming next as he, you know, would look at it from his own understanding. Really, a lot of people think David didn't even know he'd be the next king. He just knew he was anointed by Samuel at one point. He might have thought I was anointed to slay the giant, but that's it for me. I'm on the shelf. So he says, I got to stay steadfast. I don't know what's next, but I know I got to wake up. I got to wake up and give glory to God. I got to wake up and give praise God. And then he says, I will awaken the dawn. And I love this. He's in a dark place, but he recognizes as I worship God, as I glorify God, as I get my eyes on God, the dawn will be awakened. Did anyone see dawn this morning? Not dawn, D-O-N, but dawn, D-A-W-N. The dawn came up. You know, the sun came up. And he says, as I'm in a dark place, as I seek God, God will shine his light. Are you in a dark place this morning? Are you determined to awaken the dawn? Then you need to wake up. Give glory to God. Give praise to God. Ask God by his mercies to shine his face upon you. He's longing to do that. He's wanting to do that. In fact, 9, he says, I'll praise you, O Lord, amongst these people. I will sing to you among the nations. The peoples around him at that point were all those in debt and despair and discontented. You ever been around a lot of people in debt, despair, discontented? A lot of bitter folks that are got moral issues, disabilities in the sense of just, just they're, they're, they don't function right? What are you going to do around them? Are you going to complain around them? Lord, are you sitting around complaining about you? Not happy with everything we do, but he's merciful to us. David says, I'm going to praise you amongst these people. As they come in, I'm going to worship God. And it's amazing how when you begin to worship God, it can spread. How it can begin to go forth. Listen, revival always starts with you. It starts with your heart. It starts with one. So I'm going to praise you amongst these people, and then I'm going to praise you amongst the nations. Almost done here, verse 10. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Isn't that amazing? Your mercy reaches into the heavens. That's a lot of mercy. That's a big stack of mercy and all you got to do is look around and see it. Now it disturbs me. And I've heard a lot of people say this and this always happens. But I've heard a lot of people saying this in the last week. I've heard people in our fellowship saying it, but I've heard people saying it. That all these fires in California are the judgment of God. That God's judging California because of her sinfulness. They see this stuff burning and they've declared this is the judgment of God. Now listen, only God knows his judgments. And it's an unrighteous judgment to judge in that manner. But I can tell you this, if it weren't for his mercy, all of it would be upon fire. All of it. It would all be burning down. And so before you're quick to run and declare judgment, you better step back and look and see all the mercy. And you got to know, listen, up there in those towns in Northern California, there's people in those towns that love Jesus Christ, that are the Lord's. There's a remnant up there of believers. And then, oh, we're just going to step back and that's judgment because the way this election, listen, oh my goodness, you think God's moved by politics? Talking about some of the things that have grieved me on the radio station. There was a guy on there recently, Calvary Chapel guy, declaring, there's a revival in California because John Cox is surging in the polls. And he's a born-again Christian. I haven't heard John Cox's platform being, we're going to repent and seek God. I hope he is a born-again Christian. And I don't like paying taxes, so I did vote for him. (laughs) But you're going to mark... Revival on John Cox surging in the polls? John Cox got his lunch handed to him. And this guy's declaring revival. Revival because pastors are getting together and praying. They're supposed to do that, son. 
we got to humble our hearts and cry out to him, thank him for his mercy and say, God, we need a double portion. And that's going to come when we repent. When we cry out to him. When we extend that mercy to others. Listen, one thing you got to know, though, don't take his mercy for granted. Don't abuse it. Let it be an agent that brings you to repentance. Let it be an agent that abounds you. Don't let it be a stumbling block to sin. Don't take his mercies for granted. Notice Romans 2, 4, and 5. Or do you not despise the riches of his, of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He gives us mercy that we would repent. We would turn from our way and follow his way. In verse 5, he says, but in accordance with the hardness of your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And the more you shun his mercy, take his mercy for granted, the more wrath stacks up. God grant us grace and mercy to respond to your grace and mercy in a gracious and merciful way. And then finally, verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above heaven. Let your glory be above all the earth. Notice verse 10. Your mercy reaches unto heaven. And then in verse 11, he says, be exalted, O God, above heaven. And his mercy indeed stacks to heaven. So I pray to God that we would be a people whose praises go above heaven. He is worthy of all that praise. And then he says, let your glory be above all the earth. Again, his glory is above all the earth. So by his mercy, let's not glorify the things of the earth above him. Because how many times do we praise him when we got earthly things? We worship him when everything's going good on earth. He's above all this. Again, let him be your refuge, not all these fleeting things. We want to set our mind above. I'll close with this. Colossians 3, 1 and 3, through 3. If then you were raised up with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is that not good news? Let's stand up and pray and close worshiping God here. Oh Lord, we praise you this day, God. And we thank you for the mercy you have so lavished upon us, God, I would pray we would not be so ignorant and hard-hearted to take that for granted. Lord, help us to be a found of people that put on that cloak of humility, acknowledging we need no more mercy and a people extending it to others. Lord, as we even went through this message, if we were found in our minds thinking about other people, forgive us for that, God. This message is being preached to us today, to each one of us as individuals. I pray, God, that again, by your mercies and grace, that we could properly respond to it, Lord. And Lord, what a beautiful thing that would be if we're found growing in these things. Oh, Lord, help us. Listen, as we close, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus Christ, Again, he demonstrated great grace and mercy in going to the cross for you. We had a debt we couldn't pay, and Jesus paid the debt on the cross of Calvary. Will you receive that payment for your sins or not? As you call on his name, as you ask him to be your Lord, he'll wash you, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you, he'll be your Lord and Savior and God. But you have to humble your heart and cry out. Think about that tax collector. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He was genuine in that. It wasn't him just saying, forgive me so I can go back and sin. It was forgive me and wash me so I could be right with you and so I can begin to walk as you would want me to walk by your grace and mercy. Call on him if you have not. Lord, let us finish strongly here in worship of you in fellowship and breaking of bread. Let's worship him as we close.
Well, there's food out there. Be blessed in the Lord. Um, pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus.